Good morning, Brook Hills. Happy New Year. So great to see you today. Uh, let me invite you to take a copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This morning I have reached back into the Believe sermon series that we were in at the beginning of last year, and I've selected a portion of Scripture today that we weren't able to get to uh, in that series. Uh, as you're turning there, let me say welcome to any of you who may be our guest today. Thank you so much for being with us. We're honored that you have chosen uh, to do so. So where do you go with a sermon? Uh, on the first Sunday of the year, following a year like 2020. After all, it has felt like uh, one long groan, hasn't it? <laughs> An article I read recently by a biblical counselor named Courtney Vera uh, sums up what I think has been on many of our minds and hearts, but it also poses at the end a very sobering question. Vera says this, we're all ready for a return to normalcy. Over the past few months, I've noticed this desire expressed in a predictable refrain, we just need this year to end. I've nodded in agreement. There is comfort in thinking that if we simply endure through 11.59 p.m. on December 31st, 2020, the suffering of this season will come to an end. Surely, next year won't be like this one. But what if it is? Have you ever been at a point in your life where you were completely out of options? You, you were at the end of your proverbial rope. Your faith was feeble, and it seemed as though life was just dealing you one blow of despair after another. Well, at the end of John 4, we find a man who was in that very place, and then something happens, and everything changes. And so I want us to study that passage, see what it is that happens and then consider a few of the implications that I believe it has for our lives here at the outset uh, of a new year. So I'll, I'll begin reading John chapter 4, beginning with verse 46. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his servants met him, saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. 
Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Well, there are four observations that I want us to make from this passage. And the first one is this. Here is a man who had a crisis faith. A crisis faith. Let's set the scene. At the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus returns to Galilee from Judea where he had been. And now here at the end of chapter 4, he makes the decision to go back to Cana, a town where he had earlier performed the miracle of changing water into wine. Now Capernaum, also mentioned here, is a village located about 18 miles away. And that distance is going to become a really important detail for us as, as the story unfolds. Now, the man in the story, we don't know his name, but he's referred to as a royal official. Now, in the language of the New Testament, there is a word that is used here that would help us derive our English word kingdom. And so it literally means he was a king's man. He was an officer in the king's court, so he was, a, he was a man of prominence and likely would have been considered to be a, a man of influence. He had most everything that he needed and wanted, and as a result, access to doctors and medicine and other resources certainly would have been at his disposal. But this man had a problem. He was in one of those moments of despair. You see, his son had a dangerously high fever and was about to die. And having heard that Jesus was going to be in Cana, uh, this royal official traveled the, the some 18 miles, several hours, driven by the reality that his little boy was lying at the point of death. And so he went there for the express purpose of pleading with Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son. Suffice it to say, he was out of options. He was desperate. But I want us to notice something here at the outset, and that is that it was a crisis that brought this man to Jesus. You know, so often when difficult days come our way, we can tend to get bitter toward God, can't we? Lord, why me? And Lord, why now? But friends, realize this. Anything that moves you closer to Jesus is a blessing. It might be cancer. It might be the loss of a job. It might be a spouse walking out the door and leaving you. It might be the premature death of someone that you love. Whatever it is, it might hurt deeply. But if it moves you to Jesus, consider it a blessing. Well, Jesus says in verse 48, he says, Unless you people, you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So Jesus is not addressing the man specifically. He's speaking to the larger audience that has gathered around. He spoke in the plural. Your translation likely says, unless you people, or unless y'all 
<laughs> it probably doesn't say that. But uh, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus address, is addressing the group of people to which this man belongs, and he's referring to them as seeing is believing people. You've got to see it before you're going to believe it. You know, the world has not really changed all that much different, uh, or is not all that much different than it was 2,000 years ago. People still flock to the spectacular, don't they? There are faith groups today that are capable of packing auditoriums in order to put on a religious circus, while sadly there are faithful preachers of the gospel who sometimes struggle to keep the doors open because attendance becomes so sparse. Now Jesus, he had left Judea and he had come to Galilee to get away from the crowds at this point in his ministry. He wasn't quite ready to let the messianic cat out of the bag by performing a miracle with an audience. And the thrust of what Jesus was saying to this man is, oh, that you would think less about the wonders and more about me. See, it wasn't so much a rebuke as it was the beginning of grace in this man's life. Well, after this initial exchange, the man pleads with Jesus a second time. We see it there in the text. Sir, come down before my boy dies. But notice, he, he has two mistakes in his thinking. First, he assumes that Jesus has to go to Capernaum. The man evidently thought that Jesus had a healing range that he wasn't currently within, Right? Second, he also assumes that if his son died in the meantime, that it would be too late. Question, have you ever put limitations on God? Have you ever tried to set up your own ground rules or parameters for how you think he should be operating? That's what this guy did. And he was a persistent guy. He would not go away. Why? Because Jesus was his only hope. As we move on in the passage, we see that this man's crisis faith quickly became a confident faith. It became a confident faith. We could paraphrase the conversation to this point like this. Jesus says, so you're one of those seeing is believing kind of people. And the man says, sir, I'm just a desperate dad. And my little boy is dying and I need help and I need help now. And Jesus responds to the man and says, go, your son will live. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to give you my presence. I'm not even going to show you my power, but I will give you my promise. Your boy is healed. And right here in verse 50, I want us to see one of the great transformations in all of the Bible. Because the scripture says the man believed what Jesus said and departed. Just let that sink in for a moment. Not a wonder, not a sign, not a vision, not, not a tingly feeling. Not something that he could see or touch. No, the Bible says that the man believed the words of Jesus and went on his way. Why is this so significant? 
Well, suppose I said to my son, his name's Braden, I said, Braden, for Christmas this year, I've decided I'm going to put $100 into your bank account, and you can go buy yourself whatever you'd like. That's your Christmas present. And he says, Dad, that's, that's awesome. Thank you. But he follows it up with, but Dad, would you mind, if it's not too much trouble, just sending me a copy of the receipt? You know, so that I'll know that it's really there. You know, something that, that guarantees, kind of proves that you, in fact, did that. Would seem a bit odd, because you'd think that my, my word would be sufficient. But do you see what we're saying to God when we ask for a sign? We're saying, Lord, give me something tangible because I'm not completely sure I can take you at your word. So picture what's going on here. You have a father begging Jesus to come to his house to heal his sick son, and Jesus and the dad are 18 miles away, and Jesus tells him, go on now. He's going to be fine. And the man responds, basically saying, if you say so, and he leaves. But there's a curious question to ask, where did he go? Did he go home? Well, not right away, according to the text. We're assuming he could have gone home. I think I would have gone home. I think you would have gone home. If I had a child at the house who was about to die and Jesus had just told me that he was healed, I think I would have found the first nonstop chariot back to Birmingham and, and headed that way to see for myself. But not this man. See, when you check the clock, it seems that he stayed around town for several more hours before he ever headed that way. And as a royal official, he likely had access to horses or to a chariot and could probably have been back home within a few hours. So what was he doing in Cana all this time? Was he resting? Was he conducting business? Did he stop for dinner? We don't know, but, but you talk about faith. This man was sticking around on nothing but a verbal commitment, not even a handshake, and there doesn't seem to be any urgency to rush home and verify. I kind of envision this, this man walking around town the rest of that day and, and seeing some of his friends and they come up to him and say, Hey man, uh, what are you doing here? Well, we heard about your son. How did he not make it? And he says, Oh no, he's been healed. I'm kind of shocked. They say, Healed? Have you already been back home to check on him? No. Oh, did, did someone send word? Someone must have sent word, right? No. Well, then how do you know that he has been healed? And he looks him in the eye. And he says, because Jesus said so. Friends, don't miss this. Something transformational happens in our lives when we come to the point of relying on and resting in the Word of God. Many of us are moving through this life, or we moved through last year, 
looking for a work from God. When what's ultimately needed in our life is greater dependence on the word of God. The fact that this man believed the words of Jesus and didn't know the results until the next day is evidence that he had a confident faith. What we see next in this man, that his confident faith grew into a complete faith. A complete faith. Let's think for a moment about this story from the perspective of the servants, all right? So the master's son is extremely sick. And here these guys are left to watch over him as his temperature spikes. And they know that if something doesn't happen soon, he's probably going to die. And all the while, they are just wanting this man to find this Jesus that they've heard about to convince him to come and heal the boy. And they are just hoping against all hope that he doesn't return home to find his child dead. And then suddenly, we see in verse 52 that the child's fever breaks. And all of a sudden, now he begins to show rapid signs of improvement. And these guys are, are scrambling around, and they're, they're looking for the little thermometer gun, and they, they finally grab it, and they point it at this guy's forehead, and bam, 98.6. Actually, 97.6. Those always read a little low, don't they? Now, they don't have a clue as to how it happened. They just know that it did. So what would you or I do? We, we'd pick up the phone, we'd send a text, we'd post to our story, but the only option these guys have is to start up the road in search of their master. And they couldn't wait to give him the news that his boy was alive and well. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the face and the reaction of this dad? The joy and the relief that must have come over him. But my guess is that his expression probably quickly changed to one that was more curious. And he's trying to connect the dots in his head. He's like, wait a minute. So, so you're saying, and all of a sudden he recognizes the, the relationship between what Jesus had told him the day before and what his servants were telling him right now. And all of a sudden he blurts out, Jesus was right. But then almost immediately, the thought comes to mind, so, so is Jesus a prophet? And he just knew that my boy was going to get better on his own? Or did he actually perform a long-distance miracle at the moment he assured me my son would live? And he's got to know more. So, so he asked the question. He says, tell me, fellas, what time was it exactly when his fever broke? And they look at each other kind of like, I don't know, 1245 or so. It was around lunchtime, right? I mean, what do you think? I would say after one-ish, 1, 1, 1 p.m. And all of a sudden, in that moment, the man knows that this was precisely exactly the time that Jesus assured him that his child would live. Note this, time and space were not and are not 
barriers to the miracle-working power of Christ. A miracle brought about by our Lord Jesus simply speaking truth. And the Father knew it, and He believed. And when we see now in verse 53, we see that the man believed... We already saw it once in verse 50, but here in verse 53, we see a a more informed, a, a more fully developed belief, a complete faith, if you will, in Jesus as the Messiah, the one who would come to save. In verse 50, the man believed in the the promise of Jesus. Here in verse 53, he now believes in the person of Jesus. Another way to say it would be this, at first... He had faith in what Jesus said. Now he has faith in who Jesus is. You see, Jesus had a different agenda in mind than that of the royal official. See, the man wanted Jesus to save the life of his son. But Jesus was ultimately interested in giving life to this man's soul. Well, you can't end the story without realizing what happens there at uh, the end of verse 53. What started out as a crisis faith then became a confident faith. That grew into a complete faith, and it ultimately became a contagious faith. Because not only did salvation come to this man, but Scripture tells us that it came to his household. The whole family got saved. Again, I can envision this man, his servants, walking back up that road headed home. And as they continue to just be amazed and baffled and mind blown at what what just happened, the man turns to him and says, you know, that was a miracle, all right, but, but let me tell you about the one who performed that miracle. I mean, I know my boy was sick, but guys, I just met the Savior. See, the main point of this story is that John wants you and me to see the greatness of Christ. John Piper says about the purpose of this passage, he says, John wants us to look beyond the obstacles that can sometimes cloud our view of who Jesus is and see not only the power that he has, but the grace he extends. You see, Jesus didn't come to heal officials' sons. He didn't come to turn water into wine or to feed 5,000. He wasn't sent to raise Lazarus from the dead or to end pandemics. So why did he come? Well, Luke in his gospel tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 tells us that Jesus, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he added, and I'm the biggest one there is. John tells us near the end of his gospel in chapter 20, he says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. In his name. 
That's what Jesus wanted for this man, and that's what he wants for you. That you might believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that by that you might have life that is abundant and everlasting, the greatness of Christ. So Brookhills, what are the implications uh, of a passage like this here at the beginning of a new year? Well, I believe there's three important questions that this text calls us to consider. The first and most important question is this. Will you turn to Jesus? Will you turn to Jesus? The reality is in all of our sinfulness, all of us, apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ, every single one of us is out of options. So where is your hope today? Friends, our hope is not in a vaccine. Can we be thankful we have one? Yes. Will it help save lives and allow life to one day get back to normal, ideally? Yes. Will medicine address your greatest problem? Not even close. Because it's not where hope is found. Our hope is not in a revitalized economy or a stimulus check. Can we be grateful if we get one? Sure. Is it okay to spend it or pursue other financial goals? Certainly. Will money address your greatest problem? Not even close. Because it's not where hope is found. Our hope is not in a political party or an administration. Can we be thankful for a democracy? Sure we can. Should we pray for our government leaders regardless of who is in office? Absolutely. Will new policies and reform address your greatest problem? Not even close. Because it's not where hope is found. My only hope and your only hope this year and every year is in Jesus. If you're here today and you have never turned from your sin and placed your faith in Christ alone and what he accomplished on your behalf on the cross by dying for your sin so that the penalty might be paid, you might be forgiven and restored to God. This is where 2021 needs to start for you. Will you turn to Jesus today? Well, the second question is this, will you trust his word? Church, our, our capacity to trust in the word of God, listen, is directly proportionate to our engagement with the word of God. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on this passage, he says this, We must immerse ourselves in the Word of God so that we become fertile soil for faith's growth. It is fundamental to our spiritual lives. So practically speaking, Brooke Hills, 
would you, in 2021, would you commit to hear the Word of God preached weekly? Weekly. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Hearing the Word preached. But listen, not from your favorite online preachers. From your local church. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with solid online content that supplements your spiritual diet. But hear me, it, it is not a replacement for being under the regular preaching of those who shepherd you. Hear the Word. Next, would you endeavor to read the Word on a consistent basis this next year? Find a good Bible reading plan, one that works for you. Listen, some of you need to hear this today. You're not a failure if you don't get through the whole Bible, okay? You're not a failure if you miss a day or get off a week. Find a plan that works for you. Read a chapter a day in the New Testament. Get a good Bible app on your phone or your tablet and, and put it to use in ways that work for you. I'm convinced if, if most of us would replace half of our social media time with time in the Word, we likely would read through the Bible. Read the Word. Next, would you set aside protected time each week to meditate on and memorize God's Word? Guarding time in your week to focus on Scripture. Would you be willing to study the Bible with other believers in a small group? If so, and you're not already in a group, let us help you get connected to one. And as we resume ministry, Lord willing, uh, in this year, you can study the Bible with other believers. Practical steps to engage God's Word. Why? So that we might trust it more fully. And finally, as we embark on a new year, I want to challenge us with this question. Will you tell his story? Will you tell his story, the story of the gospel, to someone else? Brook Hills, what if, what if in 2021, our caution for the spread of the virus was matched by a conviction for the spread of the gospel. You say, what do you mean? Folks, we, we have gone to great lengths this past year and have turned our lives upside down to try and flatten curves. We have washed our hands raw. We have kept our distance. We have stayed at home. We have done school in the living room. We've eaten takeout more than we would ever imagine. We've donned our stylish face masks and we have Zoomed till we could Zoom no more. Why? Because we didn't want something that was so highly contagious to spread. But, as believers, empowered by the Spirit of God and tasked with the mission of making disciples, let me ask this, what lengths might we be willing to go to if we knew we had something that could change another person's eternity? 
something more potent and more powerful and more infectious than any coronavirus. C.S. Lewis said this, Jesus came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has by what I call good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. So, Brook Hills, who will you tell the story of Jesus to in 2021? Like this man, will it be someone in your family? Might it be a neighbor, uh, a co-worker, a teammate or a classmate that the Lord has put in your life? Maybe a longtime friend. Here's the deal. We all know someone, right? We're weary of the COVID-19 stats. We see them daily, it seems. But what if? What if in 2021 the numbers look different? What if it was 15,000 people in Shelby County and 369,000 people across Alabama and 20 million people in the United States and 84 million people around the world that caught the gospel in 2021? Brooke Hills, let's be a part. Let's be a part of making that happen for the glory of Christ. Do you want faith for a new year? Turn to Jesus. Trust His Word. And tell His story. Courtney Vera went on to answer that sobering question that she posed in her article. And I'll close this morning with her final few sentences. As we anticipate what 2021 may hold, our biggest mistake would be to look anywhere other than the Lord for comfort and hope. We can plead for recovered jobs, investments, relationships, and freedoms, but we do so at great peril to our own joy if we do so without trusting the Lord to be sufficient for our every need should those good desires be unfulfilled. Let's ask the Lord to improve the circumstances of our lives in 2021. Oh, Lord, would you make it so. But let's ask from hearts that are at rest and satisfied in our God. He provided sufficient grace for us each day of 2020 and promises to do so in 2021 and every year of our lives beyond that until he returns or calls us home.